cultivate relationships, put the social back in social media. But unfortunately, so many people are doing it the opposite way is they're just shooting arrows at their prospect and they're gonna end up killing them. This is Chan with the Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Chris. Welcome to the show. Max. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. How's the start of June for you? The first day of June? It's great. It's in Wisconsin. It's unseasonably warm. It's about 91, 92 degrees. So we'll take it. I like it. Are you a big outdoors person? Yeah. You know, I like to go to the pool with the kids, be outside, cut the grass, play golf, you know, a lot of the summer stuff. Love to be outside. Awesome. So the reason why I wanted to bring you on my podcast today is that you are very well versed in the personal branding space. And I think one of the things in terms of like moving on into the future, if you want to stand out in the professional world or in your industry, you have to build a personal brand. People have to know you. So before we dive into what a personal brand is and how to build that personal brand to help you generate a lot of lucrative opportunities, Chris, why don't you tell us more about your experience in this space? Yeah. So it's interesting. Someone asked me this question and I've been kind of refining the answer, but where marketing started was probably back in high school. I was looking for an elective my senior year or slacker class. And my guidance counselor said, hey, why don't you try marketing? And I think my response at the time was, what the hell is that? And she said, well, you get to be in the DECA program. There's a sales competition. You can work in the school store. And then you get a class trip to New York City. So as a small town Wisconsin kid, I said, yeah, I don't know what that is, but sign me up for that one. And I really never looked back. It really inspired me to study marketing in college. I worked in and out of family business for a while and then became an entrepreneur really probably in my early 30s when I launched my first successful business. And everything really changed for me when I started working for an agency. And I thought I really knew a lot about marketing and things shifted in a really amazing way where really dove deep into strategy and personal branding. I was in a bit of a sales role, consulting role. And I really started to put my personal brand before everything I did. I was leading with my brand and being a thought leader instead of leading with a sales pitch. And that opened my eyes and changed everything for me. Yeah. So can you briefly describe to us what a personal brand is and how it is going to be vital in one's career? Yeah. So where a lot of people get lost and confused in this definition or in this conversation is they think this is exclusive to social media or online, and it's not. Now, if you were to ask this question 10, 20 years ago, your personal brand in your office was how you chose to greet people. Are you jovial and say, hey, Susan, how are you? How's the kids? Were you putting yourself out there were you, did you have good body language in meetings? Were you easily distracted on your phone? And so your personal brand was everything you did, your body of work, every experience that you and I may have in and out of the office, but even via email. But today, more than ever, as we're talking about marketing and social media, which will be the vast majority of this conversation, is that your personal brand is how people perceive you online. It is also what makes you different or how you differentiate. But the problem here, Max, is that most people don't do any of those things. They are almost completely invisible online because they are afraid and basically of fear and judgment. It's what clouds their mind. They say, well, you know, if I post this about AI, if I talk about marketing, people are going to think X about me. What are they going to say? Am I going to get engagement? And so they worry. So rather than doing something, they do nothing. And ultimately, if you're just a guy or a gal in a sales role and you want to sell more, you want to get a promotion, you need a personal brand. You need to be visible and create value for your audience. I don't care if you have 200 followers or 2 million followers, you need to continually and perpetually add value so that they want to know more about you, what you do. They become intrigued. But ultimately, if we zoom out and just say, personal brand is this. 
your personal brand is you create content, you're active, you're visible, you engage online. And as a byproduct through communication and through engagement, people understand who you are, what you do, and why you're different. To stress about the sales component in terms of building a personal brand, a lot of professionals and companies think that building a brand is a lot of sales messages, right? But it's about giving guidance and showing that you're the thought leader. So can you help us differentiate between a sales message and actually giving value? <laughs> yeah, I can do that. So a sales message is what I used to do 10, 15 years ago where I might either A, create content, and I might say, hey, I work for a marketing agency and we've got a promotion on websites. They're 20% off. Well, I hate to break it to you, but who cares? Nobody cares about 20% off or about a promotion. They don't want to know that. What they would rather know is, hey, what are the top 10 best things to consider when hiring an agency? Because a lot of times, hey, it's a big project you need to know. And instead of selling me something, educate me, empower me, inspire me, or entertain me. And that's important. I'll say that again. Empower, inspire, entertain, or educate. And if you can do a couple of those things, or all four of those things, you will continually grow your audience. You'll be adding so much value that as a byproduct, Eventually, they're going to say, hey, tell me more about that website service that you have, or can you tell me more about how you help small businesses with marketing? And that is really what's important is, and that's what I've been trying to do for years, is just focus on creating educational content that can help people make better decisions, that can inspire them and empower them to be better at this thing, social media, digital marketing. But what I see today, and I actually just created a post about this a few hours ago, is that so many people are sales first approach. And if you are a sales first approach, and I get it, I totally get it. Most of us have businesses to grow. We've got to make money. And this has been a really big problem for me lately is every time I log on LinkedIn, I get 10 requests and nine out of 10 are ding, here's a sales pitch. And I thought, well, geez, you know, that's like going to a networking event and someone just say, hey, I'm Chris. I work in finance. Here's my card. I can save you money. It's like, I don't want anything to do with people who start a conversation like that. So if we flip that around and you say, Chris, well, how can I be a thought leader? Well, think about this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip the script on you is cultivate relationships. Put the social back in social media. But Unfortunately, so many people are doing it the opposite way is they're just shooting arrows at their prospect and they're going to end up killing them because the person says, you know, I don't want to work with someone who's salesy. I want to work with someone who knows the most. And sales is very much a relationship based thing. So if you can be a thought leader, you can also then position yourself to increase your sales because people are going to want to work with you at that point. We mainly talk about sales in terms of building a personal brand. But is there other industries or professions where a personal brand could also be very beneficial in terms of like career advancement and generating those opportunities? Yeah, I would probably argue in almost every single sense, a personal brand would be great. And I use the example of someone just looking to get a promotion. I look at an example, and this is outside the box, someone who's just you know, happy living their life in sales. They're not interested in being an entrepreneur like me or you, but they're on a board. They serve in a nonprofit and they want to help this nonprofit get more visibility, maybe donations, more people to an event. You can leverage that personal brand. You can two, three X your audience. And then all of a sudden you've got hundreds, if not tens of thousands of more people who could say, Hey, you know what? I see you're doing this fundraising campaign for big brothers, big sisters or boys and girls club. You're asking for $5. seems really compelling. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the $5. And that's one of many things. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, Hey, look, I work for this small company. I really want to change my career. I want to go work for another company or in a different industry. Well, if you happen to be active on LinkedIn or any platform and you have a pretty solid personal brand and optimized profile, those recruiters look at your profile, by the way. I mean, they all do. And how do you think that first impression looks when, oh, by the way, you've got a really nice updated headshot? You've got a really detailed description about who you are and what you're interested in. You talk about some nonprofits you're involved with, some of your cert certifications and awards. 
Well, you've now positioned yourself one or two notches above the next candidate who may be just even with you. And so first impression is everything. Therefore, I think when it comes to that, it's a big difference. Now, if let's just say you and one of your colleagues is competing for a promotion, well, a lot of times we don't just promote a person because we like them. We look at their body of work. We look at what they're doing. And if I'm on a platform on the line, I see, wow, how did this person get 25,000 followers on LinkedIn or get 50,000 followers on Facebook? They're publishing thought leadership content. What impression would that give you? And if the other person's not doing any of that, I'm going to say, you know what? This guy or gal who's building their personal brand, they're putting in a lot of time on the weekends at night to do this. They're really passionate. They're really dedicated. And who do you think has the edge? Yeah, the one that's doing all that extra work. Exactly. And by the way, as a byproduct, they're cultivating relationships. And so because of that, you could get recruiters reaching out to you because they said, hey, wow, we, you know, we noticed your profile. I recently taught social media marketing at a university last fall, and I had a professor in Pakistan reach out just a few months ago, and she's like, hey, I see you're doing some cool stuff with personal brand online, and I saw you taught at the collegiate level. Would you be interested in coming to speak to my students? And I said, well, yeah, sure, as long as it's virtually, of course. It's just kind of a neat opportunity. It's amazing to see these cool things that pop up over time when you dedicate yourself to that. So... Speaking of like you speaking at a university, obviously they're a lot younger, early 20s. And a lot of the younger generation like Gen Z and some of the younger millennials, they know about the importance of like content creation and building a following to leverage it yeah. for potential revenue. But how about someone that's more of like the mid or older professional, let's say 40 plus, right, who have been exposed to personal brands just recently with all the content creation in all the social media platforms. And we're trying to like convince them to get into the game when they haven't really done it before compared to someone that's younger that is in the know of social media, content creation, and personal branding. Yeah, that's a really interesting question because the students that I was working with are head and shoulders above where we would have been at that age because they've mostly grown up with social media. Most of them are more interested in being an influencer because that's what they know. I think as they get into the workforce, that may change. They may be more interested in being a thought leader. But for the older individual, and I hate to say that because I don't want to offend anybody, but you know, for someone who is later in their career, it's never too late. And I'll tell you a couple of things. I had someone on my podcast recently, and he was talking about this. He helps leaders, CEOs, create content automate their content flow so that they can publish videos and thought leadership content without investing more than a couple hours a month. And so he said, he's like, look, Chris, you know, some of these leaders, they need to be communicating with everybody. They got to communicate with people on the team. They got to communicate with people in different facilities, different people in different parts of the country. And if you can be in more places and you can communicate, not even so much selling, but Talk about your culture, talk about your why, talk about your people, talk about your initiatives. All of a sudden, your employees start hearing that and they say, wow, you know, I guess I've never really had in-depth conversations with our CEO, Joe or Susie, whoever it might be, but wow, he's really passionate about our culture. He really cares about the future of our company. He has a vision. And if your team hears that, I mean, do you think maybe they might have more buy-in? Maybe they might have a better, more favorable opinion. Not everybody has a favorable opinion of, a, of their leaders, unfortunately. But I think that it can allow you to coalesce things like culture. I also think that it can help your company from a sales standpoint because so often the leaders are hidden behind the pearly gates and they're not very accessible. So if you can open the door and you can humanize your brand or humanize yourself as a leader, you can cultivate relationships and a lot of good things can happen from that. But you don't have to think about this as I need to sell. I think you need to think about it as a relationship, as connectivity, as I'm going to go back to the relationship thing because I think that's just so important, whether it's for a culture, it's for sales, or it's for thought leadership or anything else. It is important to be visible and put yourself out there. Going back to in terms of LinkedIn posting, right, to hopefully get a promotion. And we're also talking about like the older professional, so to speak, that might not be as in tune in terms of content creation, social media, etc. One of the biggest fears that I've experienced in terms of speaking to professionals who are trying to build a personal brand on LinkedIn is their current company might see they're starting to post on LinkedIn and 
LinkedIn is perceived as a job site. So they're assuming that when you're posting, you're looking for mm-hmm. another opportunity. So now they might be worried to say, oh, what are you doing? Why are you posting on LinkedIn so much now, right? So there's that fear as well. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? I know younger companies do encourage like side hustles or side projects, but maybe older leaders that are not as in tune may think of it as a threat. So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So if your company sees it as a threat, it's probably the company who's not interested in their employees having side hustles. It's probably not a company you want to work for. And I say that in all sincerity because I've been a part of those cultures before where they're like, well, this guy's not all in. This Chris guy, you know, he's cheating on us on the side. He's probably at his lunch hour. He's probably, you know, checking his other email. And that to me is just not, that's not a good culture, right? And so when I started working for this agency eight years ago, they said, well, that's great. We love that you have a side hustle. And I was like, what? Really? He's like, oh yeah, everybody here has a side hustle. And the reason why we like that is because if that's what fills your cup and that's what makes you happy, you're going to come to work the next day happier. You're making money, which then you can now support your family or support your initiatives and the things that you care about. And so you're going to bring your best self to work the next day. And I was like, wow. And they said, hey, if you need to punch out or you need to leave, you need to take a half day to go take care of that thing because you need to put out a fire. Like we get it, right? And I thought, wow, this is a whole new wave of culture. Now, on the flip side, if you are the leader and you're fearful of that, I'll say this, you cannot run a business scared. And I've run multiple businesses. I've sold businesses. I've led many people. And I can tell you that when you start to fear things like that, that is when you lose your team. People will see it. People will leave. It'll be really hard to retain talent. So to me, it's really important that you can be transparent. If you say, hey, I just want you to know that I'm posting, I'm building my personal brand. You don't have to necessarily say why, but I think if you're transparent, there should be no problem. If there still is, you may need to find a better culture that will support that because most of the time, they're not doing it because they want to leave. They're doing it for financial reasons because it's a side hustle. So I wouldn't worry about it. If it does become an issue, then I think that you have a choice to change the narrative But today I'm seeing a lot of leaders do it. And if the leader's doing it, there's no reason why even someone who's new to that workforce, new to that company can't do it as well. And the argument that I would make is a lot of things we've already talked about, Max, which is, by the way, if you get 10 people at your company to share that LinkedIn post that they just put up, you can now 10x the reach of that post, which by the way, you can't do that on Facebook or Instagram or any other platform. And the reason being is that if you and I are connected, I see your activity on LinkedIn. I see that Max Chan liked this post, shared this post. And so if 10 of us from this company all do that, or guess what? If you have an employee, what do I call it? Employee social media plan where they understand what they can do to help the company, then you could 100x the reach of that post. And so why wouldn't you? Because 10 personal brands at your company is 10 times more powerful than your company's brand on that platform, in my opinion. I heard in terms of employee, professional attraction is, especially for the younger generation, if they see companies that have a lot of employees vouching for them, like posting content terms like everyday activities, that actually increases their attraction and wanting to work for that company. 100%. No more about like just the salary and the prestige of the brand, right? Yeah. You know, Max, that's just another form of social proof or social currency, as I call it. And that's like having money in the social media bank. So whether you're a coaching consultant like me, you're a business or you're a business that wants to hire people because culture should always be one of your top social media goals. You have 10 of them. That is currency above and beyond what most people have. And I dive deep into this subject, talent acquisition and talent retention through social media. And it just so happens that personal brand flows into this conversation so frequently. But right now, it's really hard for companies, so I hear, to attract talent. But the clients I'm working with have no problem. And my companies have no problem. But that's because you have to market your company. You have to make your company look sexy and fun. But you also then need to salt and pepper in that social proof, that social currency. So if I go to Glassdoor, Indeed, LinkedIn, and I see you've got a 3.5 review, I'm a little leery as to why. If I see you're not responding to those and maybe you're not publishing or posting, I just won't even apply. And that's how some of these younger people are today. And I don't say that to be negative toward the younger people. I'm saying you have to understand the Gen Z and the Gen Y because me at 41, 
I have different behavior if I were to be job seeking right now. And so they will dive into social media and they will audit. What does it look like there? Are there people that look like me there? Do they have fun? Do they do stuff outside the office? And they will also, they love their community. They love their environment. And so if that is something that your company cares about, you should be talking about that because you have a disproportionate advantage if, again, you are being visible rather than being invisible. So it could be a very deep conversation, Max. <laughs> Speaking of Glassdoor and bad reviews, I've heard stories where if a company has bad reviews, they'll have, for example, like a one or two day sit down and get all their employees to write positive reviews, right? Just to build up that rating, uh, mm -hmm. which goes through the conversation of uh, personal brand authenticity. It's kind of a weird question, but it seems like people tend to want to present a specific image to the world. And that usually doesn't mm -hmm. work because people know it's fake, right? Especially the younger generation, they can see through that. So yeah. how do you build proper authenticity and connect with your audience? Oh, excellent question. So you're right about that to a certain degree with the reviews. You're going to get some bad ones. Nobody is immune to it. Nobody, no company. I've seen some great companies that have been, you know, really shot down by four or five reviews. But I want to touch on that before I, I steer to the other direction of the question, which is, I think it's important to respond in the public eye. I think it's important to show that you care. But what I tell my clients and I tell people is that do not respond right away. I don't care if you are not directly related to the incident that happened, why this individual is upset. We tend to overthink, overreact, especially when we first see it. And so it's really good to come back 24, 48 hours later when you think, okay, I'm clear-minded. Here's how I want to address this. And guess what? We all know, anybody who has any sense of understanding culture and big companies, that you're going to get 10% bad reviews. It's just part of the game. And so if I look at, and I do, by the way, I look at how a company responds. Do they care? Did they throw it under the bus? Did they like point blame at that person? Because if I can see they care, then I can look past that. It's just like a restaurant. Someone says, oh, I had to wait for two hours. Well, at some places, that's part of the experience is waiting for two hours, having some cocktails and having fun. So you have to understand the context. But I would say that all of that doesn't matter. If you get out of it and you focus on authenticity, Max, and there's a lot of ways you can do that. So one, one of the easiest ways is if you're a company and you know that you're always going to need to hire, meaning like, and I say always like once or twice a quarter, which is not that much for a major company. Some companies are hiring once or twice a week. Then I would say that talent acquisition and talent retention needs to be number one or number two in your social media strategy. What do I mean by that? Well, I think that means that you need to be posting about your culture, your company, your values, your mission twice a week at minimum, at minimum. And the reason why I like that is because if I'm your client and I buy product or services from you, I like that because it humanizes your brand. I say, oh, I can resonate. That's really nice. They did that for the environment. That's really nice that they have this community give back program or, hey, they, they paid for two of their employees to go back to school and they have a tuition reimbursement program. Those things kind of make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. They help you build trust and authority with your audience. So whether I am a client paying for your services or I'm a prospective employee, maybe I'm the brother of an employee who works there. I now am building the stronger connection with them. And so all those components that go into that bucket, because I call them buckets in social media, those are different categories that relate to your goals that you're trying to achieve is that there's probably six or seven different subjects that go into that bucket. And if you're consistently posting about it, those things will help every other element within your social media strategy. So I like smiling faces. I'm oftentimes working on trying to showcase people in the company. I don't care if they want to be on camera or not. Everybody gets featured at least once. And we're oftentimes talking about our vision, our mission, and not cut and paste from our website. We're doing it in conjunction with, with videos, with images, with graphics, with testimonials, user-generated content. Because again, Max, just like you said, that authenticity is so key. And if you do that, I'm going to look at that and I'm gonna, that's far going to outweigh a couple of negative reviews that you might have on any one of those platforms. Because again, no one has a perfect review score, at least any big company that's been in business for more than a couple of years. So that to me is more important than looking at Glassdoor. Speaking of personal brand in terms of like offline, 
So when you're working at a company, you already have a personal brand, whether you, you want it or not, right? It's how people perceive yeah. you or how people talk about you when you're not in the room. So if you're looking to change your personal brand at the company you're working at, again, like first impressions matter. So it may be harder once people already have an impression of you. But what are some advice and strategies that you can provide in regards to helping people pivot that impression, that initial impression into something better that can help them get to the next level? Yeah, another excellent question, Max. So I think that we all need to work on developing self-awareness. So people will give you feedback, especially if you ask for it. And as my wife always says, feedback is a gift because it really is. And if you don't really know, if you don't know how you're perceived, you need to ask questions. You need to ask questions to your family, to your friends, to your colleagues, to your bosses, to maybe even people you went to college with. Maybe the people that see you on LinkedIn that just been connected for a few years. I liked a couple of posts. Just reach out and say, hey, what's your perception of what I do online? Like, do you fully understand what it is that I do? You know, what's my tone sound like? And you may want to understand things that are different from what I want to understand, especially if you fear that maybe your personal brand is nowhere near what it could and should be. You need to ask questions. You need to ask questions to a lot of people. And when you do that, don't be argumentative. Take it and run with it. And then compile that data and say, what did people say? Because nobody's perfect. I'm not for everybody. I certainly know that. But I want to be a source of value. And if five people tell me I'm annoying, then I need to understand what it is I'm doing online that comes off as being annoying because I don't see it. I only see what I can see. And nobody's perfect. So once you get that, you have to start changing your behavior or changing your content, changing your tone. There are a lot of different things that all come into this, your body language. And you need to make a conscious effort to work on it because I can tell you right now that for me, it's like the endless pursuit of, I don't want to say perfection, but improvement in that I'm always trying to get better every day. I'm always trying to get smarter and I'm always asking for feedback because I don't know if it's good, I don't know if it's bad. So I'll oftentimes go back and I'll read things and I'll say like something I wrote five years ago. And I was like, oh my God, that was terrible. I wonder if other people thought that was terrible too. So th that's really important. But again, you can't do it once or twice and then expect that your personal brand has changed. You need to ask for it, implement, and then ask for feedback again. Say, hey, you know, I've done this a few times now. Is this changing the view of what I was doing before? And to me, I've pivoted, you know, careers and jobs a few times. It takes a few years to potentially grow your audience to get to where you want to be, if not a few months. This does not happen over time or overnight when you're trying to pivot, adjust, adapt. And which, by the way, any good leader is trying to do the same too, because they all want to get to that next level. And status quo, you can't do it with status quo. You have to adapt. You have to change. So for someone who's looking to start building their personal brand intentionally in terms of like creating content on all those platforms, speaking of platforms, obviously, as one person, they can't post like on all the platforms at once, right? They're just going to get burnt out. So what's your recommendation in terms of like picking the right platform to start and then adding those layers later on? Yeah. So there's no perfect answer for this. I've given answers and then people will give me rebuttals when I'm speaking on stage. And that that's all good and fine, I think, because ultimately, you know where your audience is. You know what platforms are best. Maybe, maybe you don't, but most people do. And I would say that if you, you have limited bandwidth, meaning you have limited time, which I know I certainly do, you can't be on all the platforms. Because if you try, Max, like you said, you'll get burned out you will also end up looking really bad. And because you can't possibly try to post five times a week on five, six, seven platforms. It's just not ideal. And you don't want to post the same thing to every platform every single time. Because if you do that, I'm going to tune you out on most of those platforms. Now you might say, well, Chris, well, you're bound to see me on one or the other. Okay, I get that. But if I do happen to see your content on all platforms, I'm going to find you really annoying and I'm probably going to unfollow you. So you don't want to try to be everything to everyone. Otherwise, you become nothing and, in, and become invisible eventually. So I like choosing two or three. And my personal favorite is LinkedIn. Um, I say that because I think the power to connect with people, LinkedIn from a creator, from an entrepreneur standpoint, you know everybody's job title, you know everybody's location, you know their company. It's easy once you get connected to slide in the DMs and get people on your podcast or collaborate with people. 
there's so much to like about it. And I think because it's owned by Microsoft, there's plenty of spam messages, but there's not a lot of junk as there is on Facebook. Facebook has a lot of spam. And I mean like the stuff you don't want to see. And so also it's a lot more free and clear of politics which I think in the business world, you should try to stay out as much as possible in almost every circumstance. And so I recently started playing on Alignable again. I was on Alignable like seven, eight years ago. And it's amazing. Like I, I quadrupled my following in about six weeks, hosting events on Alignable now. I got a proposal that I sent to someone a couple of days ago that saw some of the content I was creating and they were interested. And so you just never know. You Sometimes you have to give things a try again. But again, I don't put a lot of time into it. So it's, can I use some of the content I'm creating and have in the past to consistently two, three times a week, put some stuff out there. And then I would also say this, that if you're really adamant that you can be on more than two or three platforms, I would say really try to focus hard on repurposing and recycling your content. Now, if you don't know what that means, I want you to do one of two things. If you have a podcast or if you have a slide deck, I want you to go into Zoom, record it, and you'll have a, a one-hour show, one-hour presentation. And then I want you to take that into any tool. You can use iMovie if you have a MacBook, which is free, by the way. And I want you to edit that those videos into anywhere from 20 to 60-second micro content. And micro just means small, snackable, 60 seconds or less. And what happens is in that one-hour show, you should have at minimum 12 really good sound bites. Maybe you're lucky you got 30 sound bites. You know how 30 pieces, a month's worth of content, for free, by the way. And this is really good, high quality, not agency level quality, but you have, as long as you have a good sound environment, good ring light like I do, good microphone, you can produce really great content. And I use Riverside. I can download it in the vertical format for shorts, TikTok and Reels, or I can download it in the rectangular square format for Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever. But I just do vertical only now, and I put it on almost every single platform, and I'm producing thought leadership content. I'm tagging the people in my show, and they're then engaging with the content. I do a lot of workshops and stuff online, and then I will go in and I'll go back for that slide deck. I'll record myself for 45 minutes, and boom, I've got like 30 more pieces of content. So if you do it right, you will never run out of content. And by the way, on top of that, if you're producing other content and you're documenting your journey and stuff, you should have enough for two or three pieces of content a day. There's literally no excuse for like, oh, what do I post? What do I talk about? There's no excuse to have that answer because this should be so easy. It's fun again and so easy. There's no excuse. And oh, by the way, that's what I do. Yeah, going back to what you said about the repurposing, right? Some people do it like they, they make the clip or video for TikTok and then they download it and then they repurpose it on Instagram and shorts. Yeah. But you said before that you shouldn't do that in terms of like using the same piece of content on all three platforms because that's the same thing. It becomes annoying. But it seems like some content creators are pushing that to get more volume across all the platforms. So, yeah. so what's the right now, balance in terms of how to do this properly if you do have bandwidth to go on multiple for platforms? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm contradicting myself, but it's for my podcast, which has nothing to sell. So I'm okay with maybe being a little too active out there. It's also pretty new. So we're trying to grow a following. But if I'm actively trying to grow my marketing business or any one of my other businesses, I'm probably not going to push that envelope too much because I don't want people to unfollow or to block or consider me a spam. And so in a perfect world, you would mix it up. You would have maybe 20, 30% variation from platform to platform. And one of the reasons why that's important is because I've seen a lot of businesses who will use a Hootsuite and they'll say, oh, we got this one image. We're going to put it on seven platforms today. And on Facebook, it looks beautiful. But because it's a square on Instagram, everybody's heads are cut off. And I go to LinkedIn, which is more of like a rectangle, and I get two thirds of the image. And I was like, whoa, this is pixelated. It looks like crap. And then you're like, oh, we're actually doing more harm than good using a tool where we're trying to push the same content out to everywhere because the aspect ratio, which is the square or rectangle, is basically a different size on every single platform. Even between shorts and TikTok, there's a very subtle variation in the size of the screen. Now, you wouldn't know that if you're just consuming video, but with images, it's very important because posting pixelated images can harm your brand or the essence and aesthetic of your brand. So to me, I think it's okay with the video, 
But when it comes to images, you want to be careful because images can very easily be distorted. And I'm kind of in the middle on the whole thing. I get it. You know, if you're trying to be Mr. Consistent or Mrs. Consistent, then yeah, but don't do it every day, all the time. Just find a balance that works for you. And again, I know we don't work, live in a perfect world, but do it to a point. And then, you know, if you need to find more bandwidth, maybe you can hire someone who can help you out with some of that stuff. In terms of the content creation side, another fear that professionals or business owners may have is saying the same thing over and over again, right? Like repetition. So what is your advice in terms of like, first of all, they might be running out of things to say, but they also don't want to repeat themselves so much that, okay, I, I get what he's saying. He's saying that over and over again. Yeah, Max, you got some great questions. I love this one. That's important. So I do a couple things. In my strategy, I have content buckets. And so every quarter, at least the content buckets change. Now, some buckets are always there, it seems like, but usually have one like awareness. Maybe you have one for sales. Maybe you have one for talent acquisition. Maybe you have one for something else. But ultimately, you have to have different content themes. So for my personal brand, for example, in one of my slide decks, I have 10 different subjects I can talk about within digital marketing. I'm fortunate that within digital marketing, I could talk about email, websites, social media, strategy, advertising. I can go on and on. I can talk about copywriting, which is not my strength. But what I do is I could make a list of 50 things and I say, okay, well, there's 10 things here that I'm really not an expert on. To be honest, between you and I, I don't have any business talking about that. So then I go through and I circle everything else that I feel like I am really good or I'm very confident with these things. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to highlight, and this is where it's really important for anyone listening, is where is there the least amount of noise? So I'm going to rewind here just for a second. If you don't know what that list of 25 or 50 things is you could talk to talk about, go to ChatGPT and type in, hey, my name is Chris. I'm a digital marketing consultant. This is what my company does. I need a list of 50 different things I could talk about in the realm of digital marketing. Maybe it's 100. I don't care how long the list is. Go through and X out all the ones that you say... I'm not a thought leader. I'm not a subject matter expert. I'm not saying you're the most expert, but you are a subject matter expert or very close to. And cross those off. Now, I want you to go through and I want you to circle, just put a little check mark next to the ones that you really love. Now, I want you to go back through that list another time. And this is the big one, is I want you to ask yourself, where is there the least amount of noise? the least amount of noise. And why that's important is because right now, for me as a marketing consultant, if I go on LinkedIn, everybody's talking about copywriting. They're talking about hooks. They're talking about carousels, creating content. I can do all that. But what's the point of me doing that when literally I'm competing against thousands of other creators who are just like me? I will be white noise and they will sweep my ass under the rug. And I say that in all sincerity because there are a lot of people who are really good at that stuff. So I went through my list and I said, where's the least amount of noise? And it was marketing for nonprofits, which by the way, I've been on two boards. I've been an executive director for a nonprofit. I've done a lot of volunteer work and my company did in-kind discounted work for 15 nonprofits last year. And so I really get, I get that space a lot. And so I went through my feed and I thought, no one's talking about marketing for nonprofits. So as I kind of revise my strategy for the summer for Q2, Q3, that's going to be something I'm going to start talking about a lot. Now, the downside is nonprofits can't really afford the prices that I charge because it's something I'm passionate about, something I've done a lot. I think it's something that can help me differentiate. So the reason is I want to rise above the noise. I want to be the cream at the top. But if you do what everyone else is doing, how do you rise above the noise? You won't. Right. And some of these people on LinkedIn and other platforms have 10 times more followers than I do. So I need to be different. And I'm going to go back to something else when I talk about this, because this is important for personal brand is so often I go to websites, personal brand websites, company websites, and they say, we're great at this or we're the best in class. Well, I don't care. I could care less about that because I'm the judge of who's the best. I'm going to choose the company that I think is the best for me. And so you can't tell someone you're that, but tell the people how you're different. Tell them your why. So different is best. So good is just that, your average. Best is good and different is best. 
So good, better, best. Different is best. Because if you're like everyone else, if you're like Apple, you're like Samsung, you are now a commodity. And you can't. So if you're a new social platform, you have to be different from everyone else. No one's going to go to the next Facebook because the current Facebook is declining, right? So that's really important to me. And if you have that, you will rise to the top because you're different. Now, I'm digital marketing because I'm just like them, but I'm different because I make social media so easy. It's fun again. So easy, there's no excuses. And oh, by the way, I specialize in marketing for nonprofits. Yeah, to go over what you said about like niching down, right? There's a lot of noise, as you said. Like, there's a lot of like LinkedIn content creators. Oh, I can like build a LinkedIn following, right? That's pretty common. Career coaches, that's very common too. It's a LinkedIn job site. <laughs> life coaches, yeah. Search, yeah, life coaches. Like a lot of coaching on LinkedIn. So it's about like, find that niche. So in terms of someone who's looking to start building their personal brand, uh, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, how do they find the niche that would be the most profitable for them in terms of like starting off? Yeah, I think some of this goes back to the answer I just gave you a little bit. And what I tell people is that whether you're starting or you're new, you need to really understand what are what is your core specialty. And I've kind of gone through this now with my business is that, you know, we do like five different services. And it's kind of frustrating because when I look at other companies, I don't expect anyone to be an expert in five different things. Unless you have a big team with a great staff, it is really hard to say, well, I'm an expert in email marketing. I'm an expert in SEO. I'm an expert in website design. Well, no, you're not. I mean, you might be really good and very knowledgeable, no doubt, but very few people can be a top tier subject matter expert at all those things. So I think you need to lead with your niche. And they do say riches are in the niches, but, and I do believe that. Now, Again, this goes back to finding the niche, but also finding, there's a couple questions you need to ask yourself is A, of the things I can offer, what am I most passionate about? And I think that needs to be near the top of the list because I don't care if option B is the most profitable, but if you kind of despise it, you will get burned out and you will quit within a year. I almost guarantee it. And so if option C is, hey, this is pretty profitable, I don't know exactly how scalable it is yet, but I know it's a six-figure business or more. Then, But it's also the one I'm most passionate about. I'm so excited to do it. Well, then that's the way you should go. So you have to follow your heart, but you also have to ask yourself, is this a scalable business that's going to be sustainable? Now, from there, what does your clientele look like? And so you really need to know. Now, I hear these answers all the time. I was like, Chris, well, small business owners, coaches, consultants, medium-sized business, blah, blah, blah. It can't be, it's unlikely it can be every one of those categories. If you are niching the service down, you need to have a core competency. And one of the things I'm starting to appreciate because so many of these great creators on LinkedIn are doing it is um, I saw someone the other day that they're an email marketing specialist for lawyers. I thought, whoa, that's that's pretty amazing. And I went to her profile and she has 20 years in the legal space, served in a lot of different capacities, very much a subject matter expert in digital marketing, specifically email. And she goes after law firms. And I thought, well, she obviously knows something about how to get her foot in the door with these people. Maybe she has a list or a database. That makes sense to me. But you can't be that and then also be chasing coaches, consultants, people who are mommypreneurs or spas, it's really important to have that niche. You can still do other things, but I think leading is really important. And I don't care how niche down you are, if you're the only person who does that, just like I said before, rising above the noise, people say, wow, that we need to talk to her. We need to talk to him. So I think it can be to your benefit because if you just type in marketing agencies in Wisconsin, I will not be anywhere near the top 10. But if you typed in, how do I make marketing so easy it's fun again? Or how do I make social media fun? By the way, I'm going to come up pretty quick on that one. So you just, you have to know what people are typing in and know what they want. Because if you know what they want, you can solve the problem. And if you can solve the problem, then you already know who your audience is. So you can kind of give yourself the answers. That's kind of what I'm getting at. 
For people who are starting to build a personal brand, I also want to stress, I think you mentioned this earlier, is that you don't need to have a huge following to start making money right away. No. Or start no, like don't. building that like audience or getting those speaking engagements that a lot of thought leaders have, right? So from your experience, how much of a following do you need in order to start gaining that traction? I think you really only need a couple dozen followers to gain some traction. The first couple are the hardest, especially on a platform like YouTube when you have two subscribers. People say like, is this even any good? They've got 12 videos. How could I be the first subscriber? But you have to be patient. And I think in the beginning is where you need to put a lot of time into cultivating relationships because if you can be proactive by engaging with other people's content, they will reciprocate. And so I think you really got to play in the dirt more in the beginning to help grow that because you can get accumulated an accumulation effect. And I see this a lot on YouTube where if I post really consistently for several days, multiple videos a day, I get three or four subscribers, three or four more, three or four more. And then you take two days off and it's like, I just posted four videos and I got nothing. And so I think that the platforms do reward you based on their algorithms for consistency. That's important. Like getting to trenches and commenting, right? One of the tricks yeah. that a lot of content creators do that are starting out is they'll follow like a very popular account and then uh, wait for them to post and then try to comment as early as possible so that everybody can see their profile. Yeah. I also think that there's nothing wrong with that. There are a lot of algorithm and growth hacks that people do, most of which are good. But I think that you can get burned out doing that. I've tried and I haven't had a ton of success with that, but I've seen other people do. I just don't have the time to sustain that. And so I try to just be consistent with thoughtful messages, which means you have to read posts. It means you have to invest time. And I think if you do it consistently, it does pay dividends. But I'll, I'll say this, there are a couple of things you can do. One is you can invite people to like your page on most platforms. You can also like the comment. So if I leave a comment and you leave a comment on Tony Robbins post, I'll, you'll see that I liked your comment and then you might be like, oh, who's this Chris guy who just commented on my comment and then liked my comment. And so again, you're just, it's visible. I've had plenty of people reach out to me. I think it was Russell Brunson from ClickFunnels. I've commented on a bunch of his stuff and it's just weird. He's got a massive following or Alex Ramosi. And then people are like, oh, I saw you, you have the same opinion of that post as I did about Alex Ramosi. And I was like, yeah, I love that guy. He's, he's awesome. And you never know, right? And so you just got to put yourself out there. I mean, and I say this, like, what's the worst that could happen? Someone doesn't like your comment. Who cares? One thing I want to stress with Alex Ramosi, right? Like he, he's everywhere. As He's on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. Like, he's good. He's all over the place, right? But the other thing I want to stress is like he has a team in terms of like being able to do all that. Big some, team. Yeah. Some people that are starting out say, oh, this person's like doing it on his own. But most <laughs> understand that they do have a team behind them that can post all that for them. So don't be discouraged if you're not posting the amount of quantity that he is, right? Yeah, it's not possible. I mean, I've read where he spends $50,000 a month creating content just for his personal brand. Yeah, and when someone's starting out there, they don't have the 50K to spend right away, right? So it does take time to yeah. build, but you got to start somewhere. And I do want to um, take this time to really thank you for coming on my podcast to discuss personal branding and building and helping people who want to become thought leaders in their industry or space. So I'd like to end this podcast with one last question for you. So my podcast, as you know, is about helping professionals take their career to the next level. So for you, my question is, when you were building your personal brand, what was the turning point in building that personal brand to get to where you are today? The turning point? I would say that, and this may be, feel like it's skirting the question, I don't know that there was a turning point I think the whole experience has been a turning point because I started on this journey about nine months ago where I was going to post every day for a year. And then just recently, I decided I'm not going to do it because I feel like I'm trying too hard. And when you have this light bulb where it's like, what if you go to an event and you're trying too hard? Like, what are people going to think, right? It's not natural. It's not who I am. So I said, Maybe the right answer is pumping the brakes. Maybe it's being consistent five times a week, but maybe not seven because I didn't, I don't want to feel burnt out. I was starting to feel like, oh, how am I going to get this post up today? How am I going to get this post up today? And so I think there's been lots of light bulbs, lots of learning moments. And this is coming from someone who's been in marketing for over 20 years. And I'm always learning, 
I'm always every day learning and I love that I can get better each and every day. And so I think that if you have an early adapter mindset, which I try to, getting on early to TikTok, getting on early to AI and ChatGPT and MidJourney and all these cool tools that are out there, it can be a disproportionate advantage for you and your business. And so that to me was probably more of a turning point in my career where probably four or five years ago, I realized that instead of saying, oh, another platform change, another algorithm change, another social media platform, another social media management tool, I started to say, this is amazing. If I can be the first one to learn about this, I can be the first one to create content on this. And then all of a sudden people are gonna be coming to me because they're like, this guy knows it before anyone else knows it. And so I just have a genuine passion and excitement about being an early adapter. And so I'm still trying to do that. But, you know, for me, there's never any one thing. It's always multiple things. And I, I try to learn from as much of those things that I can. So you're saying that the big takeaway is these social platforms aren't going to be here forever. But as new tools come up, always try to embrace them and see how you could be the first one there to start getting that advantage yeah. compared to everybody else. Absolutely. Awesome. So again, I really appreciate you taking the time to discuss personal branding with me. So how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Great questions. That was a lot of fun. If you want to connect with me, if you like anything I had to say, you can find me on LinkedIn. I post all the time. It's linkedin.com backslash in slash Chris B. Burns, two B's in the middle there. And then I have a personal website where I've got some digital products, some digital downloads, a LinkedIn cheat sheet, and that is IamChrisBurns.com. IamChrisBurns.com. Feel free to shoot me an email. That's Chris at LuxLevelMedia.com. Or if you're interested, I'm giving away a free 15-minute business audit. You can go that on my website, click on Book Time With Me, and it's a free audit. I'm happy to give you my insight on your website, your social media, just answer some questions for you. Let me know how I can help. Awesome. Appreciate the time once again. My pleasure. Thanks, bud. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.